Hey followers, Dixon and Alex here with Two Dads and Ian. We're interviewing Selma Van Diest, who is a psychologist sex therapist. So we're doing this after our episode about love. Thought it would be good to talk about the other side of things, which is sex. But, you know, desire and intimacy, not just like we're not talking so much about the physical side of sex. However, if you do have children listening, may want to use your own discretion for this episode. May want to change the channel if you're in the car. <laughs> and the episode starts now. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Dixon. And, and we, we are, are two intended dads and yarn. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys hello hi hello how are you going we're going all right how you doing yeah good good so thanks for agreeing to do a chat with us no happy to do so and i think it's just an amazing opportunity uh, what you guys are doing to um give people information about certain topics that they might find hard to find other information about um i just want to have more people listen through it um so they can actually listen to indeed your story and, and understand what you guys are going through and, and how that has been for them uh, as well. And to feel maybe less isolated or less um, like a stranger. Yeah. So, Selma, um, so what do, you, what, what do you do? Well, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm also working as a sex therapist. And that's more, I usually say to people when people ask me, like, what, what is a sex therapist? Um, I usually um, give my answer to say, well, I'm a psychologist who's not afraid to talk about sex. And actually, uh, my main focus uh, in my practice is around gender, sex, and relationships. I am trying to also provide therapy or or at least an, a place for conversation um, for people who are uh, maybe also at times feeling quite excluded because of their gender diversity or relationship diversity. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm specifically kind of focusing on. Okay. And um, is there many is there many other people in your field of work or is it are you a pioneer? Well, um, there are two uh, universities offering um, the Master in Sexology. Um, I've actually done my training in the Netherlands. That's where I'm originally from, and Stefanie Exent. They, they, there are quite a few people doing um, that training course, but you don't have to be a clinical psychologist. So that's maybe the, the differentiation. Some people might be a GP with a sexual back or focusing on that sexual background or um, you might be a, a medical practitioner or indeed a counselor or um, any kind of maybe more um, uh, mm. yeah different kind of background. So, and what brought you to doing sex therapist work in the first place? Well, I um, uh, when I was doing my training in psychology uh, in one of my first years or so, I had this seminar from uh, one of the sex therapists in, in the Netherlands. And the way that he was describing the work that he was doing and the types of clients he was seeing, and I thought, that sounds really fun. And after the, the seminar, I kind of went up to him and I said, okay, so how do you become a sex therapist? And um, he's kind of taken me a bit under his wing and um, has given me a bit of guidance in how to get to that path. And so I started doing um, the additional training and migrated uh, when I migrated to Australia about 10 years ago um, I uh, 
found my connections with um, the uh, kind of Australian uh, Society for Sex Therapists and kind of connected to them as well and kind of been on that pathway ever since. But in the beginning, I was more focusing specifically maybe on sexual dysfunctions and where it was very much like, oh, this isn't working. How can we improve that? And I think I have kind of found a bit of my pathway into a bit more of the gender work and mm. uh, relationship work because often when people are talking about sexual difficulties they're also talking about um, mm. relationship difficulties or it's usually some sort of combination of the two <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at these <laughs> this sort of stuff comes pretty naturally for me lots of people go quiet when we talk about sex <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you find um, the culture in Australia around sex? Um, like I tend to find, I think we're probably less prudish than um, Americans, but I don't think we're that open about it in when it comes to discussions and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I can imagine where you're coming from. Of course, I'm very biased because I'm coming from the Netherlands, like where probably mm. um, you would even just talk about, well, sex to your neighbor, but it, it probably like there are lots of different situations where um, you would just sit in a pub and you would just discuss how your sex life is going. And that's a very normal question. Mm. Um, but so that might be a bit of maybe the too liberal side of things where you sometimes also feel like, well, we could also have a boundary there and let's, let's maybe not discuss certain things, but it's helpful when, uh, when you can just kind of chat the peers as well, because of course I'm, I'm on the other hand biased as well, because people come to my practice and they know that I am a sex therapist as well. So they can actually talk about sex. So when people have started to feel comfortable with me and in, in our maybe first or second or third session, they do ask all sorts of questions. And I sometimes feel like, oh, people can actually be very open or can actually discuss lots of things as long as there is a very trustful relationship. And so I think um, maybe that's the, the difference I'm noticing in maybe in some other countries there might be uh, at least some of the countries where I've got some experience with there might be a bit more openness in general and so people might not need to be a sex therapist as much because they have already been able to ask a question to one of their peers or friends mm. in Australia it depends like um, I was working in um, previously in, an, in a psychology practice and where they said like well we might not want to promote that very openly on our website that you're working in that field and I said well I, I think that would actually be really good that you're actually putting it out there yeah. um, so working in my own practice um, I'm, I'm putting it out there that I'm actually not afraid of, of talking about sexual issues and lots of people can then find you and ask questions or and it can be very simple questions but they just haven't had the opportunity to talk to anyone about challenges that they might be experiencing are there any questions that pop up more often than other ones like is it just like a, oh yeah i'm expecting this question here we go yeah well it is sometimes maybe um some questions around porn use or uh, those kind of questions where it's almost like that that you hear that they want to express something for example and they are not too sure how you might feel about it or how you might respond to certain things or mm. um and sometimes it's very just very open honest 
general questions like I maybe usually come quite quickly is that normal or um, even like a, maybe a bit more of a, a male question where they say like I, I've had some questions like I'm losing my erection after I've had an orgasm like is that normal and I'm like mm. yeah like so you can actually kind of and and but sometimes it's been an actual worry but they haven't like and then again of course maybe coming to the, the topic of, of porn where some people that's their only way of getting some sort of sexual education and of course it is the worst kind of sexual education you can get um because these people never lose erections and they 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 only kind of come to an orgasm after 25 minutes um and so it's not the type of information that you would like people to access but that is sometimes what happens there might be certain questions that are in my eyes very normal very I'm, I'm very happy to answer those questions but they might actually feel a certain level of yeah. shame or or hesitation to yeah to talk about those things mm. yeah i think yeah particularly for males i think there's always a lot of um worry about judgment from their peers i think there's always a like i find as a gay male um if i talk to straight males and and they find out about my sexuality they'll very quickly want to ask sex orientated questions because it seems to be ah. oh this is a this is a safe person to ask whereas i don't want to ask my mates because if i ask something and i don't know it and i look then i look stupid yeah there's so, quite a bit of um brazen joking about the um yeah. about you know if make comments like Oh, you know, I'm just like a 30 second firecracker. Ho, 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 ho. And then yeah. like, they just won't discuss it any further. Yeah. Than that. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And that's what I said. What I noticed as well, that sometimes that's as, as deep or as far as the conversation goes. Mm. And, and when they don't actually get a positive or affirmative answer from a peer, that's the end of the topic. And they just kind of take all that shame with them home and probably still not having an an answer or, or an, a solution to certain things that, yeah, that they might be experiencing. Yeah, our social, our culture really plays an important role. Like I was thinking about um, indeed, like what plays a big part in how we experience sexuality, how we experience our own sexuality. And some of those things are just so uh, embedded in our social and cultural background um, that, like particular things are, are so different. Um, we were just talking about different countries and how you talk about sex, but that's maybe a Western and another Western country. But if mm. you are talking about Japan or um, China or other maybe Asian countries where um, talking about sex or even just mentioning outside of your, um, your own family is just not done. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really hard to then maybe get some, uh, some solid information about like what is normal and what is abnormal. Um, and, and a lot of people are just kind mm. of walking around with a lot of those questions in their, in their minds and it can, mm. it can create a lot of stress. The purpose we, we thought we'd hook up with you is because particularly parenting, um, obviously we're on our journey to hopefully become parents and hopefully reasonably soon. Yeah. Um, and I've 
talked to quite a few new parents, but most of them are straight parents because they're the easy ones to access. A lot of them have had issues, obviously, in their sex life after birth because of, you know, physical demands um, on, on the woman. Um, or And then after that, like... Being very time poor as in... Yeah, being time you know, poor and never sort of getting, a child. getting back into um, intimacy as a habit. And then losing that privacy as well of having another person in the household or multiple people over the years. So yeah. yeah. So is, is that sort of something that you've noticed as a trend? Is that something that you are often chatting with potential clients about? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, indeed a topic and, and whether indeed, um, uh, like, of course, I know your podcast is more around, um, uh, gay uh, or same-sex attracted people but I think there are also a lot of maybe to make it even more inclusive like even the trans community or mm. um, people who are not identifying according to binary systems so I think there are lots of people who are in these kind of dilemmas of feeling that they um, something has changed and of course yes there are like I, I totally understand what you guys are saying like um, the changes in in time restrictions or energy restrictions or physical restrictions um but i i think what's also quite important um is also maybe that change in role patterns of um your you've kind of you're going from a diet to um suddenly like looking after a third person mm. um and that third person in the relationship kind of needs to find a place somewhere um, and of course, I um, I sometimes indeed say to kind of new parents, like if if you had to draw like a diagram, like where does your um, your newborn or your child, where does it sit in that triangle? Um, is it almost like the the two parents on either side, and sometimes the child almost like in the middle? Um, and of course, and and that can happen, mm. um, but it means that that creates uh, a change, a shift in your connection to your partner uh, when that changes uh, that of course has an impact on the levels of intimacy and uh, levels of maybe even levels of attraction um, that you might feel towards your partner um, because you might not see them just as your partner but they're also now a parent and um, you might actually feel that they at times maybe you feel quite proud in how they are parenting um, and you might actually through that pride that you're feeling, you might actually feel more attracted to your partner, but it might also sometimes kind of create the opposite where you say, I, mm -hmm. what you, the way you handled that situation today with our child was just not okay, or I don't agree. Um, and so suddenly there's a third person in that relationship that is creating an, an obstacle um, in that connection that you can experience with your partner. So in terms of that um, additional tension, is there any sorts of advice that you would give to people to sort of um, mitigate it as much as possible when they're first starting out? Is it more, more of a case of let's make sure that you have dedicated like times to talk and reflect and, and you know, actually working on your relationship is more important than trying to make the sex happen <laughs> yeah 
Absolutely. And and I think that's um, you're, you're saying something quite important there, actually dedicated time, um, because that is, of course, in this whole um, situation where you're already quite time poor, um, kind of creating, uh, because you also want to maybe create specific moments where either you're parenting together, you might actually want to have a bit of alone time with um, with your new child, because you also want to get to know, you want to bond one-on-one. Um, but then there's also a need for indeed that alone time with your partner. Um, and of course, lots of new parents are also a bit maybe afraid or ashamed again of maybe social expectations, like when you're finally um, maybe becoming parents, something that you've been looking forward to for such a long time. And um, and then to kind of say like, oh, but we also need a bit of time for ourselves. So can we find someone who might actually... Mm. kind of babysit for a little bit of time so we actually can bond together as well which is such a um, maybe a bit of a social taboo that I often also hear in my practice where they say well we actually except for the times maybe where um, the the child is in bed or um, we don't really have that alone time Um, and so the alone time is dedicated um, or is directed by the little sleeps that the little one is, is doing. Mm. Um, and I'd say, well, indeed, like there, that alone time with your partner is also so important. Maybe even just connect with each other, not so much also about parenting, but also to like restoring some of those old connections of what kind of connection do you still have with each other besides being parents now? Because, of course, that's a huge change and it is a big part of your life. But you were a couple or at least in a dedicated relationship before you started this adventure together as well. Mm. And you want to keep that uh, connection going as well. Mm. Um, You want that to have a special meaning, even kind of without the children involved. Is is there a um, a situation like... To let, um, what am I trying to say? How how do you form the relationship so that like we maintain our intimacy? Then our child also understands that like we have a separate like relationship to them. Like because our relationship is as parents, but how do you help them understand that we have our own relationship? Is that like a yeah? Do you understand what I'm coming from? Absolutely, and. I- that is something really healthy that you in some ways maybe I would almost want to say need to model your children um, that you are not just parents but you are also connected as partners Um, and that when kind of what you want to do is actually show like you are the role model um, for this child to understand relationships and I know when they're very young they they don't see that bigger picture yet um but you're each time that you're showing that there can be um affection between the two of you without the child somehow being involved in some sort of way um it creates a, a sense that the child also learns that there is a safety in that connection for the two of you that you won't forget about the child, um, but the child also learns to deal with maybe feelings of jealousy or envy or 
um, all sorts of healthy behaviors such as waiting for your turn, um, kind of when um, you can be involved into that interaction again. And maybe the triangle um, that I was talking about, like when your child is actually um, at the same distance from you as your partner is, there is almost like a very healthy uh, connection going on where the child sees like, okay, we have a relationship, but you are also having a relationship. Mm. Um, and my relationship to you might be different to what you are sharing. And it doesn't need to, there's no tension as such, like there is no mm. fight for attention or there is uh, no, there doesn't need to be any jealousy because it can all exist within that same safe place. Yeah. So in terms of finding time, are there any particular, so outside of like getting a babysitter, are there any other particular strategies that seem to be um, the best way to help people manage finding the time to be intimate in the first place? Because yep. yes, babysitters would be great, but obviously lots of new parents are, are struggle to find babysitters or um, aren't. Uh, comfortable enough with their child leaving them yet that then they sort of you know sacrifice all their time so then they're trying to yeah how do they find those moments yeah good question again I, I think there's what I usually say to people is like you want to use um, all the opportunities and sometimes when we think in big examples um, it, it's maybe a bit similar to when someone kind of wants to be more active, they might think like, I need to go for a huge run or a huge hike, or I need to go for this two hour session at the gym. And I say, well, if we just actually kind of focus on the little moments where um, you've left something upstairs. And so this is an opportunity for you to kind of walk the stairs, walk down just by grabbing that one thing that you forgot instead of leaving it for later. Um, so actually kind of grabbing those tiny little moments where you can in create a certain level of connection because either you can do one big moment or you can create all sorts of little moments throughout the day. Mm. Um, and whether I often say to people like intimacy is also a feeling that we um, are experiencing with a partner, but it doesn't always need to be, they don't always need to be physically present. Um, so you can feel very intimately connected to someone because they are just sending you a very lovely message mm. during the day and you're not there, but you just kind of, it puts a smile on your face and you suddenly kind of feel like, oh, that's so nice. You're thinking of me right now. Um, and that creates a moment of intimacy, a moment of connection mm -hmm. that you can create in lots of different opportunities. Um, and I think well, sometimes in the beginning, you have to be realistic. That indeed for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And, and sometimes you don't have a babysitter or, or you don't feel comfortable with um, already kind of leaving your child. Um, and so it's creating those little moments um, of intimacy. And that might also be something that couples um, can discuss with each other. Um, and I often ask them, like, what do you see as connection or intimacy like how do you create a connection with your partner mm. it's interesting for couples to discuss those things with each other because they are sometimes quite surprised um, where they say it isn't always the physical touch or indeed the the time investment but it might be that little moment where we're in 
at a party and, and it's busy and but you actually kind of look at me quite um, regularly from the other side of the room and I just know that we are connected so it only takes eye contact um, to to establish that connection together um, and I think specifically when you're time poor and energy poor you probably want to think small instead of um, thinking big mm -hmm. also discussing how um, your partner sees intimacy um, or connection also makes you uh, is, is giving you tools to use those moments of oh I would like to establish connection and you can do it either your own way knowing how you create connection but you can also do it your partner's way mm. is there a like a um different categories of yeah you, you're familiar with the five love languages are you yeah, yeah. so like is there, is there like specific um, intimacy groups that like for say some people who might be thinking about, well, what's my intimacy and like they haven't actually had a chance to think about it. What are some topics or categories of intimacy that, you know, you could think about? Yeah, well, indeed, those five love languages is, is of course, a, a good way to start. It's, I don't think it's completely scientifically based, but um, it's, it's a good. Yeah, I, I feel like I read that it was written by a priest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't heard that one, but I, I can imagine that there are some, some different stories around it. But uh, it is incredibly popular and lots of people come into my room and they say, oh, we know, we've, we've read the five love languages. And I said, well, it's at least a conversation starter. Yeah. Um, so, and indeed, like when you know that your partner, um, because one of those is, is maybe quality time, but if, if that's your, your top one, um, but you can't really create quality time, you might be a little bit stuck. So you probably need to um, divert to maybe number two or number three, where you're actually kind of starting to um, see like, hey, I can do this little thing for you that actually might be an act of service, or it might be um, indeed some some uh, lovely words or, or uh, expressions of affection. And I think those kind of things can really help um, people also to see um, that when their partner classical example but when their partner is actually putting the bins out um it's not just because they love putting the bins out but it could actually be a bit of an act of service to say i'm actually doing something for you to show you that i i care about you i care about our little family mm. and so i think what is intimacy is of course a, a really difficult question and you probably get 284,000 different, different answers, answers. Um, when when you ask people, but I think that's why maybe we don't need um, to categorize those answers, and we might just kind of say like whatever your answer and whatever your partner's answer is maybe what's important for you to to put in your mind and and actually make sure that when there is a tiny little opportunity, either we can use that opportunity to create that little moment of intimacy, or um, we just let it pass and that moment of intimacy is gone. It's those things like if you're in our, our situation, so in a preparatory waiting <laughs> situation, it seems like it'd probably be a really good idea to have that chat and think about like, well, what are all the little moments we have now? Yeah. So that then when we do get into the we have no time, because the other thing I'm thinking about is like once you've got children i think 
what happens is that then people don't even give themselves time to do therapy or have these conversations. So like it sort of just snowballs into becoming bigger and bigger issues. Yeah. So does it, do you think it's a healthy strategy for people to really try to have these conversations before that big change? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and certainly when you know that that change is coming and, and usually indeed um, there's the pregnancy yeah. before the child actually <laughs> arrives. So that kind of gives you a bit of um, time to prepare. Um, and I think that preparation time is maybe good, not so much just to focus on how are we going to parent and what kind of parents, how would we like to adjust our style um, but indeed, all of these things as well, like it's such a massive change and such an overwhelming experience um, that often people indeed don't have the energy to even just think about these things. And, and we often live in a bit of a maybe a stressed state all the time. And when we are feeling quite stressed all the time, we only use a tiny little capacity of our brain to actually process information. That's a very normal fight flight um, response of our brain yeah. um, to just kind of block out everything we don't need. Um, but it means that you sometimes don't see that bigger picture. And there might be things that you actually indeed want to agree on saying, these are such a lovely gesture that I that make me feel loved by you. Mm or make me feel attracted to you or are creating a bit of an, an, an tension or sexual attraction, uh, a certain state of arousal, are those kind of things that we could um, at times reflect on, like maybe have a little reflection session after a couple of weeks into parenthood and kind of say, oh, how are we going? Um, and maybe that reflection time, uh, even if it is just, 10 minutes um, once a month um, might give you a bit of a sense of um, are we still on the right track? You don't want to just set them at the beginning of the year and kind of reflect on them at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but you actually want to kind of do little check-ins, see whether you're still on track because as soon as you start kind of veering off into a different direction, you want to have that ability to just make that tiny adjustment. Yeah, yeah. Feeling connected to a partner is so important in establishing that sexual connection as well. Um, so you want to kind of keep the two of them going. Um, it's really hard to, um, I usually say to people, like it's really hard to to feel attracted and aroused by a partner that you've, you haven't really seen all day and suddenly it's it's there. You kind of, it's, it's almost like having sex with a stranger. Like, well, it could be yeah. your thing, but um, <laughs> it might be. <laughs> might be something um with your partner where you actually kind of need a bit of that like foreplay and i i don't mean foreplay mm. and in as in just in the bedroom but you're almost like throughout the whole day yeah mental foreplay yeah does libido get a pick um becoming a parent and people's libido maybe dropping because they all the factors of stress and time poorness and stuff like that like um is it a use? Is it a use? Is it a use or a lose situation? That's uh, what I <laughs> um, A lot of people um, are are super afraid that it's a use it or lose it situation. Um, yeah. I think um, one thing that's maybe quite important to um, to note about libido is it it isn't 
something that you are born with and you just use it up. Um, it's also not something that um, is always present, like spontaneously, like what we, um, what I often refer um, to or explain to couples, um, despite their gender or relationship type, is that um, desire is actually um, something that a lot of people think that every sexual interaction starts with desire. Um, and I often explain that desire and arousal can at times really kind of play a little catch-up game with each other because um, there are lots of different ways to create arousal. When um, people are asking, like, how do I create desire? And I say, well, let's talk about how do you create arousal? Um, because I think that arousal speaks a little bit more to our minds, like it, it feels a little bit more tangible, like when you ask a person, like how, what kind of things do you find arousing, they often have some sort of answer to that question, and often desire comes somewhere along that interaction, like when you really get aroused, often your desire increases too. Mm. Um, and so when often when people say that indeed talking about libido and and it feels so untangible and it is like it, it really feels like a big issue and it is because a lot of people think that oh, when i've lost my libido i can't engage in any sexual interaction and i say let's let's focus on what we call responsive desire which is um like the desire that kind of follows from particular interactions and i often kind of use the metaphor of sometimes we are extremely hungry and we are preparing some food because we're hungry and sometimes we're not hungry but someone puts some food in front of you or um, you walk past a place and you get all the smells and you thought you weren't hungry but suddenly you are um, and so that is almost like that second example is the responsive desire like the desire that comes up because we see mm -hmm. our favorite food or we smell our favorite food we're talking about oh what's your favorite food and you start talking about it and suddenly you, you just want to have it um mm -hmm. that's almost like similar to sex like the more we can talk about it the more we can get ourselves into a bit of an aroused state um the more you will see that your your libido increases too mm -hmm. um and so I think in some ways, like we, we don't really have, well, that's maybe a bit of a bold statement, but I, I do believe there are libido problems, but I think we're with trying to fix our libido problems. We're usually focusing on the wrong part mm. We're we're usually focusing on how do I actually get hungry? And that's something you can't force. You can't generate hunger but you can actually generate appetite you can generate mm. um by exposing yourself to your favorite foods or talking about like all those examples that i just said um like really offering yourself that exposure to see whether something happens in your body that's a really good benefit i like it <laughs> um good good yeah that's a really good one and it's, it's really useful in in yeah. like to when people are a bit ashamed or find it difficult to talk about certain things to say like okay so what is your favorite sexual food yeah um and suddenly it, it like the, the question is maybe less 
confronting challenging okay. or or indeed pressuring or shameful mm. um in terms of say as gay couples um i think generally um gay couples around our age so in their 30s um there's a lot more sort of issues to do with pornography because that was sort of um, when we were young, that was our access to the gay community for a lot of us. So um, I, I, I found that tends to be uh, probably a more common problem um, for people around our age. But are there, um, like when you're looking at couples who have, I don't know if you've dealt with many who have had children, but similar sort of situations where they've got you know, maybe coming up to a wedding and, and have, you know, a huge project on or anything like that. Um, have you sort of come across that? And is there any sort of common thread across more specifically same-sex attracted couples? Yeah, I, I totally understand that. That was maybe indeed what you're saying, maybe more the access to sexual preferences or uh, maybe at times, maybe as much as porn is, is like I said before, is maybe not the best type of sexual education that you can get mm. um, it does create uh, options to talk about certain things or to at least maybe start a conversation or to see some some things that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise um, and so I do understand that um, there, I think there is certainly a place for porn in in society like I'm not an anti-porn sex therapist um, I think I, I'm just more focused on um, kind of having a positive attitude towards sex. And I think that positive attitude means that you want people to be comfortable with the things that they engage in. You want that to be consensual. You want that to um, to be communicated about. And that's what I think with, with porn as well. Like you want to, for that to be maybe a conversation starter. And I know that maybe takes a bit of the tension or arousal away, but like when you are not doing it in maybe a sexual moment, but you might be watching some porn together and say, hey, the, what they're doing right right there, like, is that something that you feel comfortable with? Is that something we should try? Is that, have you tried that before? Is that, how was that for you? Hmm. Um, and so if you are actually using it as a way to discuss and to manage expectations, um, I think there's, that, that would be maybe a very healthy way. Um, and also when you know that there are particular types of porn that are arousing to the both of you, um, of course there could be a place for even just watching it together or um, if there is some sort of maybe consent or agreement around like how, what kind of place porn takes in a relationship. But I think what is also the problem in lots of couples is that the topic is not discussed and so it's a very secretive part of the relationship. Mm. And people just don't know how to deal with that secrecy or how to bring that conversation more into to an open conversation. It's, it's not all bad. And it helps maybe some people to set boundaries. Like if, if you were to ask your partner, like, hey, what are your boundaries in, in a sexual sense? You might kind of feel like, oh, I don't know. Um, but when when someone actually says like, oh, so this, would you want to do that? No, that's not. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. That's a boundary. Um, so I think that could help um, all sorts of couples, gay couples, um, open relationship couples, um, whatever kind of couples there are, it could help 
them in setting those boundaries and starting those conversations. Mm. So using it as a, making sure that it's a tool in the relationship rather than a replacement of parts of the relationship. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think um, I often say to people as well, like about maybe sex positivity, like maybe that's one of those questions that comes to mind. Like what is the place for masturbation and, and when you're in a relationship with a partner? And I always think, great question and I, I often kind of try to say like well I hope that it can actually have a place in your relationship mm. again like sex with yourself versus sex with a partner is just something quite different um, there are lots of things that are not happening in a partner relationship and there are lots of things that are not happening in a masturbation situation and so when you have conversations about it I hope that it can exist in both forms and that you also don't feel that pressure as a partner. Like there could be a difference in sexual desire level. And one might have a higher sex drive or, or desire to be intimate um, than the other. And I might go back to my example. Like when someone has a bit more of an appetite or usually eats more than the other person, are you force feeding the, the second person mm. to eat as much as the first person because, hey, we're in a relationship? I think, no, like like everyone can have their own needs. Um, as long as you can communicate with each other, like, hey, I just want to check in. I know usually my libido or my desire is a bit higher than yours. I would actually feel I could kind of engage in sex right now. How are you going? And the other person might say, hmm, not so much, not that hungry. Um, and you might actually say, would you mind if I go off and, and kind of do it myself? Sure, go for it. Um, and of course, that's where you can also have that conversation around how much do you want to be involved in that? And, and that's what I often say to couples as well, when there is a difference in desire, like I don't want to just box it as saying this is masturbation and that's what you do by yourself in your own room and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And this is our partner sex. And I say, is there... Is there also something that can kind of be in somewhere in between, like mm. on such an invitation? So into kind of integrating sex into like an active part of your relationship as a whole, rather than having like your social side of your relationship and having your sexual side of your relationship. It's kind of like it's a constant, you know, um, you might talk about with your part sex with your partner when you're maybe out in public you might just pull your partner aside for a second and if you want to have a chat about sex like in a casual sense rather than actually doing it right there but you know just making an active part of the uh, relationship at all times yeah well, well ideally yeah and and of course it, it it's whether your partner is of course up for that too like um if they're kind yeah, of of course if you're interrupting in a very serious conversation and <laughs> suddenly you want to talk about what you're going to do when you get home um but Yes. Um, yeah, it, it might actually be like if it if it becomes less heavy um, when it, it isn't like we need to sit down and we need to talk about our sex uh. life. Like if you can actually do that a little bit more casually, it, it might actually become something a lot more comfortable to engage in because part of the relationship instead of almost like that that separate part that needs to exist but we're not talking about it and we're certainly not showing it in public and we're certainly not mentioning it anywhere else but it needs to be present it, I, I want it for for couples I want it to be something more indeed uh, a lot more 
comfortable. And that could be a, one of those things where you can do a bit of foreplay, almost like when you are out in public. And of course, not actual foreplay, but um, like again, <laughs> the, the, foreplay. the yeah. emotional, yeah. mental yeah. foreplay, um, where you know that you could have that tiny little look or that kind of wink of an eye or kind of there there might be little things or yeah where you actually kind of feel or like the little stroke when you walk past through the toilet or there there are things that you can do to show your partner that you are still aware of their presence Mm. that you are still attracted to them that you're still enjoying their presence Um, and it might actually be a bit of that something that can lead to more later on and again if it doesn't lead to something more you've taken that tiny little moment of opportunity to connect. I think um, one of the things that is a struggle in Australian culture is I think we there's still a lot of people who subscribe to that whole um, when you, at some point in a child's life you need to sit them down and then explain, have the sex talk, and, and you do do that same making it one really big yeah. conversation um with your kids rather than it being a continual conversation so like yeah being in education i've had to read up about this sort of stuff and like over in the netherlands and similar countries they have that as a more of an ongoing conversation and there seems to exactly. be less issues yeah. and in adulthood than in australia so i've always sort of been pushing i think you know conversations that are scaled to the child's ability, but should be happening pretty early on. Absolutely. I think adults now have that problem is that they've been brought up with that. It has to be a big conversation. It can't be these little. Yeah. And sometimes you even think like, oh, yeah. that will happen in school or um, I'll wait till they have had some sort of sex ed in school. Um, but I think it's indeed as a parent, you can just, indeed of course age appropriate um you you would give them a little bit of information hey why are those people kissing oh because they really like each other um oh okay and and so that's kind of um you don't have to be like oh they're kissing like kind of pushing them in a different direction or or taking them away from what they're seeing no you actually want to show like that is what you do when you love someone um or or when you feel attracted to someone and and you can't just do that with everyone like you want to explain the the kind of the the circumstances and the boundaries again um but you also want to to show them that that's how life works that that's where you don't want to just leave it for the adults um and then they start feeling quite excluded of the the whole topic altogether yeah Mm, i think i've asked more questions than i would usually in a podcast (laughs) it's done really well (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you started to enjoy. <laughs> All right. Well, um, unless you've got any other little bits and pieces that you you really want to get out there, maybe the the one thing like I was thinking indeed in this preparation for like what is maybe specific to to same sex attracted people. Um, versus um, kind of uh, heterosexual um, couples. And I think um, it, in some ways, I, I don't even think that it makes such, so much of a difference. It's all about just knowing your partner and knowing mm. those ingredients of um, what what can keep that little kind of sexual attraction and sexual arousal flame alive. 
Um, and, and you don't just want to put it in the kind of on the back burner and just leave it for when the kids are 18 to actually keep the solid relationship, including that sexual element going um, and to have like the parenting on top of that. Sometimes people don't really pay attention anymore to all of those relationship aspects. And it kind of erodes the whole basis of the relationship and you don't want to get into that situation. So I'm hoping that I've helped you guys a little bit in kind of keeping that going um, as a bit of preparation, um, yeah. including to, to other couples who might be struggling with these kind of issues. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Being nice yes. and informative and hopefully this will help out some others. <laughs> we certainly know Absolutely. plenty of um, new gay couples. I think it's... I think it's a interesting territory because it's re reasonably like new, so to speak, because it's not been so accessible for um, gay parents. But um, there's always sort of been this stereotype that you know gay men have sex sorted, like that it's always going to be working. Um, so I think it's these sorts of conversations are sort of remind people that yeah, uh, just because we're both men doesn't doesn't mean that all the intimacy and all the desire and all that sort of stuff is any different. Like that's still the same. No, it's just different. Yeah. You're still human. Yeah. yeah. Just different body parts. <laughs> well, actually the same body parts. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> same body parts, but all still all humans trying to connect and trying to do the same task. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and, and having this chat. If people want to read more information, it's selmavendis.au. Just, just .au. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, ooh, yeah. So not .com.au, but .au. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. You too. Thank See you. you. Have a great and night and... Yes, have a good night. Okay. We'll see you around. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>